0: Good morning, South City Church. What a joy it is for me to be with you here this morning. Uh, I want to say right at the very start that you're looking at half a man because my sweetheart, Colleen, is in California. Uh, She's close to her two younger sisters, one of whom had an accident in her wheelchair. Third year in a row, she's been confined to a wheelchair since youth because she has a disease called osteogenesis imperfecta. It's also known as the brittle bone disease. So she had multiple breaks in childhood. She'd been confined to a wheelchair. Even so, she overcame her handicap through the years because today she's one of Edward Jones' best brokers in California. They sent her on a worldwide trip. She's very, very active. But on one of her active conferences uh, up in Toronto, she had a little accident in her wheelchair. Two years ago it was a hip, last year it was a fibia. this year it was a femur and a torn Achilles and another broken bone, and so Colleen had to go and be with her. Colleen sent me a note this morning. Uh, you know, Colleen and I are connected at the hip. Uh, I talked to her on the phone on the way down to church this morning, and she said, uh, she said, please pray for my sister Nildy that she be healed soon, so that I can come back sooner to be with you all and, and to be with me. Uh, and I'll be first to confess how much I need her. And you, many of you know how important it is that we be together, you know. And so uh, so she asked me to send you her love and ask you to pray especially for her sister. She also wants to live redemptively with the people in her family who have yet to come to know Jesus. And so that's very important. But you don't have to worry about me. I'm, uh, I'm batching it. I've got my bowl <laughs> and my spoon, my cereal, and my milk. <laughs> I'm good to go. It's all right. So, uh, another thing that helps me, you know, in, in this time is just being in small groups. Aren't you loving your small groups? I love the small group uh, times that we have fellowship, openness, and in our groups. I love how we how we share, uh, how we share needs. You know, sometimes I don't know how your group goes, but I think we laugh and cry at the same time. You know, we 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 have some we have needs, and yet every time we have gotten together, every time in the last several months, we've had a change of groups in, in, over that time. Uh, But how many times in your group and how many times in our groups have we heard praise reports? Oh, this relationship is improved. Oh, that situation is better. This person got a job. And so forth it goes. So it goes. You know, I know right here this morning, there's so much joy in this room over how, what a loving and good God we have. And what a joy it is to meet together to carry one another's burdens that is, you know, if I look back over all the times that I've had in, in in ministry and in the church, my best times were in small groups where we connect with one another and where we truly, truly care and, and bear each other's burdens. It's so important. So I'm really loving that. And one of the burdens that we have, you know, we have healings. Our God is a healing God. You know, I believe Psalm 103 says... Uh, that he heals, the Lord heals all your diseases. You know, I've never had a healing, have you, that you weren't convinced the Lord played a big role in? I mean, he's in all of our healings. The healing that he gives is really from him. Yes, he leads us to good doctors, and I praise God for good doctors, good medicine. I believe in it all. But wow, I know at the, at the root of it, it uh, that the Lord is the healer. Isn't that right, Brother Bobby? That's right. You know it. And so we're very, very grateful for all that he heals. But you know, the burden of our hearts is more than just for our physical healing. The burden of our hearts is for our loved ones who still haven't come to know the love of Jesus. They still haven't come to know how wonderful and terrible that cross is that he bore for us. They still haven't come to know how great great is his forgiveness and how thorough his cleansing. They haven't come to know the new life And you know, that's what this passage that's before us today is really all about. How a man from Ethiopia finds new life. And what is God's role in that? And what is our role in that? And and so our our passage, I want to get into it. It starts at verse 26 of Acts chapter 8. But first, I want to share a prophecy that was prayed by David uh, to God. It was part of, a, part of a psalm where David was praying to God and he said, because of your temple, God, at Jerusalem, this is Psalm 68, kings shall bear gifts to you. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. Cush was the ancient term that Israel had for Ethiopia. And so what happened in the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and I think most of you know that story well And I think we have the joy of going through a story we know fairly well this morning with many of you but perhaps some of you hadn't heard it so uh, it's really a partial fulfillment of prophecy how a powerful and rich Ethiopian Jew, he was of the Falasha sect of Jews that was started by uh, Solomon's son Melanik that he had through the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba, Sheba was Saudi Arabia. Anyway this their son Melanik was trained in all the ways of the Jews in uh, in Solomon's family and then he went to Ethiopia as the legend goes and when he went to Ethiopia uh, he carried a perfect copy of the ark and folklore has it that the that perfect copy of the ark was switched out by Solomon. You know Solomon in all his wisdom he knew that the temple would be the place where, if it were ever attacked or stolen, it would be there, and so you know, and Solomon and all his women supposedly—this is all folklore and, and speculation—had uh, that that the real ark taken by Melanchthon back to Ethiopia, where Melanchthon shared his faith and created this Jewish sect. So the Ethiopian in our story—he's he's coming to Jerusalem to worship, so he's a proselyte. A, not necessarily a proselyte, but he's an actual Falasha Jew from Ethiopia, a sect that had grown there for centuries, and today is still active in Ethiopia. There's still 30,000 Falasha Jews uh, today in Ethiopia. So that's a little background to uh, this story. Now, if you think that his trip from Ethiopia to Jerusalem is an easy jaunt, I want you to look at the at the, the Google Maps slide that I downloaded. And... Um, is uh, not an easy job. It is a long, long way to go. Did we get that up? It's coming. Go back. There you go. This is it. This is a journey of 2,400 miles. It's hard to appreciate by looking at that map, but that's better than most of the way across the United States of America. It's a long journey. And uh, Today, if you go there by car, Google says that you can only go an average of 20 miles an hour because of the condition of some of the roads, because of the ferry crossing, because of the border crossings and other things. The average of all that journey is going to be like 20 miles. So if you go 10 hours a day, the whole journey takes about 120 hours, 12 days, you're there. No big deal. But try translating that into chariots and camels and a whole retinue, an entourage of, of, of servants, cooks and all sorts of servants on foot, accompanying this powerful Ethiopian uh, ambassador. And you can make maybe 15 miles a day. And that means that in order to get from Addis Ababa, or from, where, from wherever he came in Ethiopia in that day, to Jerusalem, it would take him between four and six months. It is a serious journey. And because, and he obviously, didn't do it yearly, because to do it yearly, you, well, there's no time to do it yearly. It takes most of the year, half of the year, to get there, half the year to get back. They couldn't do it yearly. So some scholars speculate that uh, the Ethiopians who had cared for the for the Ark of the Covenant for centuries entrusted the Ark to this man. Why? Because news came that there was a Messiah, by the name of a miracle-working Messiah, in the name of uh, by the name of Jesus. And this was the true Messiah of Israel, they claim. Word got to him. So they take the ark, they give the gift to the Messiah, they go for six months on the road, get to Jerusalem. The Messiah they hoped would be there has been crucified like a common criminal. What do they do with their gift to the Messiah then? Well, naturally, they're received by Herod, the king, and they're, they're under his auspices they have to rest up from this long journey probably several weeks until they finally get out of Herod's grip and start heading back home and as they're going through Jerusalem these people on foot are connecting with the the Messianic Jews and they're saying hey did you know that the Messiah had to suffer and now the word gets back to him through his servants hey you know Messiah had to suffer, suffer they're all reading all of Jerusalem's reading Isaiah 53, and so that's this is all speculation, of course. It's a little background, a little color to uh, to to the possibilities that are here in this story. And uh, there's there's books if you want to read about uh, the if you want to read about the Ethiopian Jews, uh, how uh, Queen of Sheba and Solomon, their their son Melanik. Uh, there's a lot of actual fact. Uh, in mixed in with all of the speculation and the folklore. But I want you to know that these were possible. Now, even if it's true that he actually was on a mission to take the Ark to present to the Messiah, which is entirely possible, or the co- their copy of the Ark, whichever, what the truth is, only the Lord knows, the Ark of the Covenant is only a symbol. The, the cherubim... Their wings extended over the mercy seat. Representing the righteousness and the holiness of God. Looking down on the mercy seat where was sprinkled the blood of the lamb. God's perfect sacrifice. Satisfied by Jesus. So the ark, even if it was this happening, is so unimportant. Because the ark is Jesus. He was... Humanity, the acacia wood, in divinity, the gold. This was the symbol of Jesus Christ. And so he was taking the symbol, maybe he was taking the symbol of Jesus Christ and yet didn't know the true Jesus. How about that? And so that's a little background. So let's let's see if we can get into our, our passage here. Uh, starting at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now Philip, he doesn't need much of an introduction, does he? Because Pastor Drew spoke about him when we went through Acts 6. Remember that in Acts 6 we know that he was one of the deacons who were all men of good reputation who were filled with the Spirit. And with God's wisdom. And Pastor Jerry last week showed us Philip in Samaria preaching to those hated Samarians. And yet here was, he, was, he, was, they, he was holding their rapt attention. And God was creating miracles through him in Samaria. So many good things were happening. People were coming to Jesus. And so we know Philip. He doesn't really need much of an introduction here. But the first person to speak in this whole story is the angel is the angel keep that verse up just for now he's the angel uh listen when heaven acts angels get busy normally we don't see them, but the bible tells us that they're they're all around serving the serving the saints and they're 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 busy guiding they're busy protecting they're changing events probably in response to our prayers and the lord is directing them to for to create divine appointments so that the, God's kingdom can move forward. I think they enjoy doing that. And the question is, how much do we enjoy being a part of what's God, what God's doing and bringing souls to himself? So the heaven takes the initiative in the story. An angel spoke and uh, said, arise and go down to this road. And so in your salvation, just think about this. God took the initiative in everything. Everything. He took the initiative. Uh, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. How about that? That's Revelation 13, 8. God took the initiative. Uh, we love Him because He first loved us. We love Him because He first, He first loved me. I only had a response to His love at one, one time when He came into my heart. He first loved us. He took the aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God took the initiative in your faith, in your in your salvation, in 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 bringing you here to be a partner in South City Church? Aren't you glad? I'm glad. I'm very glad. So let's summarize the first element of evangelism. I have I've I put an outline for you. Well, I didn't get it printed in time to get into the to the uh, to the bulletin. Sorry about that. But if you're t- taking notes, it's very simple to create. Just simply put. God's part in four points, and man, our part in four points, and you've got the outline for the message this morning. Um, so let's look at Philip's response. In the next slide, you see the angel's words, rise and go. And I'll oh, go ahead and turn to the next slide if you would, please. So the angel says, arise and go. Look at Philip's response. Now, anytime you see something repeated within the same verse or within a couple of verses, I think we, we should pay attention. I don't think the Lord wastes any words when, when, he's, when He's giving us a message. This is His instant and precise obedience to God's direction through this angel. Now, I want to make a confession. I have a real problem with the word obedience. Do any, any of you have any guilt issues with this word obedience? I have, to, I have to confess, I don't have a good emotional response toward that word. and, and Because I know it's holy, I know it's good, but I, what I also know is I don't do it enough. I have to confess all the time. You know, Lord, I wasn't obedient to this, I wasn't obedient to that. I have guilt issues with obedience. And so, uh, yet here is Philip. He's almost shaming me. I mean, look, at get up and go. He got up and went. You know, it's just like that. Um, but here's what I want you to think about. And I was thinking about this. And Instead of writing on that, uh, that outline I gave you under our part, the first thing, you know, ought to probably be obedience if we really look at the story. But I got to thinking where that obedience comes from. And you know where his obedience comes from? I think his obedience flows naturally out of his connection with God he's a man filled with the spirit and wisdom he loves to connect with God and he loves to be about the Lord's business so right in the middle of Philip's obedience there's a huge want to I want to do this for my father I want to do this for my Christ who died for me I'm ready and I want to do this it just tried to stop me He doesn't even think of it as obedience. It's a natural flow of his connection with God. And that's what I'd like you to write down on on the first thing there. You know, I've I've heard people talk about obedience, you know, that when you don't want to do something and you don't feel like doing something, hey, well, just get up and drag yourself, you know, to church anyway. Just get up and go. Just quit moaning about it. Just do it. Well, there's there's wisdom in that. I, I totally agree with that. But We want to remember this, that the kind of obedience that pleases our Father is the kind that flows from a connection with him, not the kind that comes from an intellectual assent or a guilt response. You know, it it needs to flow from his goodness and from his love. And if if you connect with him, uh, you'll have that holy desire. So remember these key words, connection with God, because that's point one. On your, on your outline. Go ahead and put that up and show that point one of the outline there on that slide. So Philip was ready to hear. He was ready to go and do something for the Lord and he wanted to do what pleased God. Now what happens in this passage further is actually something that happens uh, in our everyday lives. And it's a miracle of God from start to finish. But how gracious is God that he allows Philip, and he allows you and I, to be involved in this process that hopefully will continue to happen and happen even more often. Uh, This is our day, dear friends. This is our time to write the book of Acts. Actually, it's the Holy Spirit writing it through us. We'll call it the book of Acts of the partners of South City Church. That's our chapter today. So let's look at the Ethiopian and go to the next verse. I think it's 27 on our slide. There we go. Behold, an Ethiopian, a eunuch, court official of Candace, uh, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians who had charge over all her treasury. And He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning. First thing we learn is that he was a eunuch. Now, there are actually, in, in, originally the, the eunuch actually meant the actual eunuch in a the, in the biological sense, but uh, as time went on, the eunuch be, just simply became known as, as an official. And we have examples in scripture like for example, remember the story of Joseph the uh, Potiphar? The literature calls him a eunuch and yet he was married. and there's another famous eunuch of scripture was the prophet Balaam of the king of Moab and uh, he was married and had the sons of Janus and Jambres so you know the the term eunuch in the original was became to be known as an official I believe it's the I believe it's, it's in this case it means the official, this eunuch is an official, why? Because, because eunuchs were barred by Mosaic law from going to the temple and worshiping. Now why did he go to Jerusalem? Well he went to worship and be a part of the temple ceremonies and Pentecost and all the things that were involved. So therefore I think in our case we are pretty safe to conclude that this is the second meaning came in time to be known as eunuch, is an official, just a high official. And this is one, obviously, of great authority. And so we can take a look at at his achievements. Just look at this. He is a highly placed official, a man of great authorities. That means that he was powerful. Uh, He was trusted by the queen and therefore responsible. And he was in charge of all her treasure, So he was a very rich man. So he had power, responsibility. He had wealth. And he was riding on this desert. Yeah, a bad place in the desert, empty and dusty and hot. But he was riding in his Mercedes Cadillac Lexus Benz of a chariot. (laughs) And in short, what the world values and loves and adores the most, in this case, he had it all. But everything that made this man great, listen, could not make him a child of God. And this world is in a frantic search for happiness, brothers and sisters. And all the things they're looking for to feed their souls cannot move them one iota closer to Jesus Christ. And we know that. We know that, don't we? So... Nothing that made him great could make him a child of the king. We are deceived in thinking, if only I had this, if only I had that. Power, reputation, honor, wealth. There's nothing actually wrong with all of those things. There's nothing wrong with it unless your soul idolizes all of those things over God. And somehow this powerful, wealthy official knew that. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, he was returning. Come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning. And so he had stretched out his hands like Cush, like David predicted in the psalm, yes. But he's so here's point number two under God's part. God does the convicting and the drawing. Look at our, there it is. You can write that down if you wish. God does, it's his part. He convicts, he draws. Do you remember Jesus said that no one can come to the Father? Come to me unless the Father draw him. That's, that's, that's what he does and how, how great it is that he does that what could the temple and all the religion of the Jews have done for this man what could they have done, how could they have filled his soul listen, all the whole system of priests robes <clears throat> sacrifices holiday rituals, the Seder feast, the Pentecost, all the things that this, on this <clears throat> the scriptures here are wisely silent all of that gave him zilch Nada, nothing, zero, goose egg. He had nothing out of that. And to add insult to injury, here he is coming back on this dry, empty, dusty, hot road in the wilderness where there is nothing, nada, nothing. Only four months to go. Only four months. And so here he is, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah now. He's seeking God. He's seeking God. You know, I wonder how many of our elected officials in this state, this county, this city, right now are looking to God. You know why they're looking to God, I think? Because they know instinctively they cannot. They don't have the ability to solve the huge, incredibly complex, deep-rooted problems of the city. Crime, drugs, trafficking, uh, Addiction. Homelessness is a deep culture. So hard to come out of that culture. And I want to say this, Brother Larry, uh, I love South City's partnership with Life Skills for Youth. I love it because because it puts God's people uh, together with people from the inner city and from challenged uh, uh, households and families. And God is at work in that ministry. And God is at work in the people who are loving these kids and working with them. I just want, want you to know. You keep Brother Larry in that ministry in your prayers. And if God opens the door for your participation. I hope that he gives that holy want to in the middle of your obedience. So you go and, and really serve the city. Because the city needs Jesus. And that's one of the places where, where we make contact with families and with people that need the Lord. So, uh, But who among our officials? like this Ethiopian, knows that without God, nothing can be done of lasting value. And with him, all things, all things are possible. Listen, so don't leave them out of your prayers. And so now in verse 29, the Spirit says to Philip, go up and join this chariot. So Philip ran up to the Ethiopian, and and he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asked do you understand what you're reading? Now, he Philip hears the eunuch reading Isaiah out loud. And so he has situational awareness. He's observant. And secondly, listen, he, he asks one of the most tactful questions a person could ask. Do you understand what you're reading? And <clears throat> so I want to stop right here with that question. Do you understand what you're reading? Because I'd, I'd like to I'd like to encourage you here, as this is one of the greatest tools that you'll ever meet that'll free up your heart and, um, and to connect with people. Philip, he, he, he is asking this question because he really, he really cares, of course, about the person that he's talking to. But I believe if you make it your goal to really listen to people, to discover what's going on in their lives, <clears throat> how they really struggle. And uh, this, one, this one thing, if you learn it well, will dispel all of your fears about that. the second word that I may mention that may be guilt-ridden for you, and it certainly has been for me, soul-winning, soul-winning. In the past, you know, we've made everything about content, four spiritual laws, point, point one, two, three, and 4 and so forth. Just get it across, you know, so somebody can get saved, the minimum information. Listen it's not about content. If we make it about content uh, we don't, we're missing two important things here caring and authenticity. Now, when somebody comes up to me with an agenda, I'm immediately turned off. Aren't you? When you know somebody cares about their thing more than you, Where's the trust? Where's the, I mean, it's zero trust in a situation like that. Even if I know that person probably wants to preach the gospel to me, I still feel, you know, okay, yeah, 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 you know, just leave me alone, you know. That's natural. And so, you know, give somebody today the gift of listening, the gift of your listening ear and your listening heart. That's, my, that's what I'd like you to take home today from his question, his tactful question. Give somebody today the gift of a listening ear. It's one of the least given gifts in our society. People are lonely. They're, they feel abandoned. They feel oftentimes that they're at a dead end. They don't know who to, to, who to turn to, and they don't have anybody to talk to. And they're sure that nobody wants to listen. Do you want to listen? Would you give somebody the gift of a listening ear today? You know, care flows from the way you connect to Jesus. Someone once said that worship is the engine of all evangelism. I think that was well said. Because when you truly love Jesus and you truly worship him, how can you not care and want people to come to him? And so when the love of Christ compels you, you really do start caring. And this is the second element of evangelism on our part. I want to go right to our... our, our uh, Uh, outline again you can write in care and compassion for all care and compassion for all now for all this Ethiopian is a man from another nation he's a man from another culture he's a man who thinks in different lines than the average Jew thinks and Philip has his own culture you have two men here coming from completely different cultures but Jesus great commission was to go and make disciples of all nations all just as in our 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 church's um, uh, motto our purpose statement south city church exists to love god and all people amen care and compassion comes from your connection to jesus christ and when you connect with him you're connecting with the one that loves every soul and that's the truth And so care and compassion leads you to intense prayer. And that's actually under point connecting with God. Your your prayer, your intercession is part of your connecting with the Lord. And that intercession, that caring, that love, that desire for others flows out into redemptive lifestyle and into connecting with others. And connection, that brings us back to his question. Do you understand what you're reading? That's the way Philip connected. And actually, uh, he, he had a Holy Spirit-prompted question. So you can put that down as the third element under my part. There's just four under my part. We're all ready to element number three under my part, and that is connecting with people. And uh, uh, my, my, my ur- I urge you all to pray and say, Lord, put good thoughts in my mind. Put good questions in my heart to ask people so that I can really connect with them in an authentic, truly caring way where I'm ready to listen to them and understand. And listen, you'll be very surprised with the doors that the Lord opens. And speaking of open doors, look at this next verse, 31. He said, how can I unless someone guides me? How about that for an open door? And then he says, and he invited Philip to come up and sit there with him in the chariot. You remember he says this is Alexis Ben's chair. He's got a nice leather covered seat there for Philip to sit on. So, but it's an open door. Now, not everybody's door is open. The Lord warned us. He said, Don't cast your pearls before swine. You know, don't don't just go forcing the message on somebody that's not ready and not able to hear it, not in a in a place. Here's somebody that knew the importance of open doors more than any other. That's that's the Apostle Paul. He asked People, in the book of Colossians, in chapter 4, he asked people to pray for him. And this is, these are the words. He said, continue earnestly in prayer, you Colossians, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in chains, that I might make it manifest, the word of God, as I ought to speak. People, listen, here's here's the amazing thing. Paul is in prison. He's in chains, in prison. And he said, please pray for the word to be unchained. Please pray for an open door. Not for me, for my body or for my chains. No, he didn't ask anything about his own chains. He asked that the word of God be unchained. Now, is that an amazing prayer? It amazes me because if I were in a situation, I know what I'd be saying. Please, get these chains off of me so I can do God's work. Paul didn't pray any such thing. He just said that a door would open for the gospel. That's all they cared about. My goodness, what an understanding that is. That's amazing. So, people, we need open doors. So let us pray for open doors. Now, this door was open. And the next thing we see in verse 32... Listen, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Wow. Look at what happens. Verse 32, the place in scripture which he read was this. He was as a sheep uh, uh, to the slaughter. And as the lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. Who will declare his generation for his life was taken from the earth? picture the the best portrayal in all of the old testament of the suffering messiah that's where he's reading in in the scriptures <clears throat> now these words about the suffering messiah were written by isaiah somewhere in the middle of the 8th century bc 8 centuries would pass and then some before these words of isaiah would be fulfilled in jesus christ what what an incredible place of scripture You know, Isaiah is an amazing book because it has 66 chapters. How many books are in the Bible? 66. How many are in the Old Testament? 39. How many chapters in Isaiah talk about God's righteousness and His judgment? 39 chapters. The last 27 books of our Bible we call the New Testament. The last 27 chapters of Isaiah are about the suffering Messiah, the mercy of God that'll flow down from heaven to anyone who who opens his heart for to this Messiah. Uh, wow, that's, uh, the, that's what, what's being read here before us. Um, and by the way, Isaiah 53 is in which part of Isaiah? Yeah, it's in the second part, the part about the suffering Messiah. Absolutely. So in verse 34 we read that the, the eunuch answers Philip, and he says, "Well, I," he says, "I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man?" And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached, not concepts, not content, Jesus. Not concepts, not content, not information. He preached Jesus. Jesus is the living word of God. Jesus is God who is manifested in the flesh. He preached Jesus. Now that is so precious. Point number three, our part. The third thing on our part is to enjoy conversations about Jesus. There you go. Convert I guess fourth, fourth thing, excuse me. I got my number wrong. Connecting with people, conversing about Jesus. Now, notice, when you're conversing about Jesus, if you really truly connect with God, and out of your connection comes care for others, truly interceding for them, and out of that comes a redemptive lifestyle where you love connecting with people and discovering what they're about, asking them questions, and listening, you have open doors for conversations about Jesus. And if you do number one, your fears will be greatly relieved and there will be a huge want to in all of your obedience when it comes to this very thing. So, here we, uh, starting here and then going through Isaiah, probably Isaiah 53, listen. Philip preached or actually showed Jesus humiliated. I think in modern translation it says told him about Jesus, not preached Jesus, but told him about Jesus. But anyway, he shows him Jesus humiliated like a sheep led to the slaughter. He showed him Jesus crucified. His life is taken from this earth. That's the, the, the beautiful and terrible cross that we love to sing about. And he showed him Jesus buried and showed him Jesus ascended. And now, you know, by the way, I want to say this you can find a path to Jesus from any part of Scripture. Remember when Jesus was on the, on the road to Emmaus and he, he met the two disciples? And, and it says there that he expounded to them in all the Scriptures. <clears throat> The things concerning himself. That's in Luke chapter 24. So now in verse 36. As they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? He's ready. And then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in that heavenly miracle that is so much greater than any healing which only lasts for a lifetime the miracle which lasts for an eternity has happened in this, in this man's soul and so I believe he said uh, Pastor Jerry Vines uh, I read a message on this this passage from Jerry Vines many 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 years ago but I never forgot him saying you don't have to take a test and get a seed to get into heaven it's not a matter of the mind it is a matter of the heart. And that's what it is here from start to finish. And remember what it says in Romans For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Yes, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by that powerful, mighty word of God. So remember this. All of his status, everything that made him great, couldn't make him a child of God, but here he is as he a child of God. And you've seen the things that happen. So this is point three under God's part. Let's look at that outline. God alone converts the soul. It's nothing that you and I can do. We don't have to be confused or troubled. Oh, I said it wrong. Oh, I connected wrong. Oh, I didn't pray enough. No, 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 no. No, listen. Converting is not your job. That's his job. Your job is to sow the good seed. Your job is to, is, to, is to do the things that, that we're listing here that we're drawing from this passage. That's it. You don't have to do more than that. And you can watch God do all the rest. In fact, he starts the whole thing in your heart anyway when you connect with him. And that's the truth. So, verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch, they go down into the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord cut Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. Now, <clears throat> that's, that's where I want to end the story, even though there's one more verse. I think he's found, you know, preaching. And, yeah, naturally, you know, when he went on, you know, he was preaching, and he continued to serve the Lord just out of delight. I am absolutely con- convinced that everything Philip did, he did out of delight. May you do the same in all of your connecting. Now, here's some questions for you. <clears throat> this Ethiopian eunuch is in this great entourage Do you think at this point he went on his way rejoicing, the scripture says? Do you think that he enjoyed from that point on connecting with the God of his new life and new faith? You know he did. You know he did. And out of that connection with the Savior, what kind of care and compassion did he begin to have for that entourage, those servants that were accompanying him along the way? Incredible. Heaven-born care and compassion authenticity. And you know what? Many of them got it. Now number three, do you think that he began to connect and have conversations about Jesus with all that were in his entourage? I believe that he did. In fact, I think he, could, he did those four points under my part very well. Because we know when he got back to Ethiopia, He came back with an entirely transformed community. An entirely transformed community. And I believe God created a mighty community of faith. In fact, we know that God had a great community of faith, of messianic believers that started with the return of this man to Ethiopia. They turned that place upside down for Jesus. That's the fourth thing God does so very well. He creates community, his church, and he's doing it today in our book of Acts, isn't he? Right here. You know that he is. So what if we, you and I, take these evangelism lessons to heart? What if we daily connect with our loving God? What if we truly cared for all people Asking the Lord to send his angels and help us with divine appointments. Mm-hmm. What if we began to truly connect well with people, asking sensitive and caring questions which generate conversation? And we began to have conversations about Jesus with people when we recognized open doors. Do You know something? God would do his part so, so, so beautifully, wouldn't he? He would He would do, he would send angels to change events and set up divine appointments for you. Some people say, you know, it's one of the most dangerous prayers, you know. Ask the Lord for divine appointments and guess what? He's going to give them to you. You know, if you ask anything that's according to his will, he loves to answer those those prayers. And then... What if he began to convict and draw your friends? The second thing God does so well. Convict and draw your friends and, and, uh, and uh, acquaintances and bring them to new faith in Jesus, converting their souls, and then bring them into the community of his choice. Maybe even South City. Maybe even South City. So may the Lord continue to build his church in his way. And may you continue to do your part Faithfully, as God gives you grace and holy desire. The Holy Spirit is writing our chapter of Acts, the Acts of the Partners of South City Church. So let us pray. Let's go to the Lord and, and ask Him for His blessing. Our dear Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for all that You have done for us. You've laid down Your life for Your church, for us. We're so thankful that we can be in your community of saints that you're creating that you're building thank you for converting our souls for giving us knowledge of your love and your goodness and your grace thank you for washing us clean from our sins and putting a new holy desire in our hearts to have redemptive conversations with the people that we love we as a church this morning lift up to you so many needs for healing for uh, your comfort, for the sorrow of those who are mourning this morning over the loss of loved ones, precious loved ones that have gone to be in your arms. So thankful, Lord, that underneath are your everlasting arms. And dear Heavenly Father, we give ourselves to you that you would indeed create that care of community in our hearts whereby we can invite our friends, neighbors, loved ones, and acquaintances to converse in a most heaven-born way about the only one that really matters, which is you, our dear Lord Jesus. Thank you for all of these things. Bless us in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.